You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, we're in Luke chapter 15, so you have a copy of God's Word. You want to turn to Luke chapter 15. This is part two of our Welcome Home uh, sermon series. We got really creative. We went Welcome Home part one, Welcome Home part two. So that's the sermon title today. And we're looking at specifically in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. Um, Luke 15 is a fascinating chapter of scripture. Jesus tells three stories or three parables or three illustrations where he's illustrating some things that are lost and then they are found. Of course, Jesus isn't just giving the illustrations for the sake of giving the illustrations. He's not trying to say, hey, there was one day when a guy lost a sheep and then he found a sheep, or another day when a woman lost a coin and then she found her coin, and then there was this father who lost his son and then his son came home, you know, like, end of story. That's not the point behind what Jesus is doing. Actually, what Jesus is doing, he's illustrating for us the crisis of lostness. He's illustrating for us the crisis of lostness, of being separated from the Lord. Now, that word lost can mean lots of different things. It could mean, on one hand, that someone is lost that, because they don't have a relationship at all with God. They are lost in their sin. They have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and so they are lost in their sin. Their sins are not forgiven. They have not experienced being saved by grace through faith in Christ. So they are lost. But also the term lost could be referenced to referring to the quality of relationship maybe that you have with Jesus, with the Father. It's a lostness in this case is like a willful wandering from your heavenly Father. Like the hymn writer says, we are prone to wander, Lord, how I feel it prone to leave the God I love. There's a sense of being lost, right? Not being where we're supposed to be with the Lord. So being lost is is something, it's something that we should all be concerned about. And last week we looked at the first half of this parable. I know some of us weren't here, but you, many of you are aware of this story of the parable of the of the lost son. We looked at verses 11 through 24 last week and uh, just were reminded again of the younger son and how he was lost. And today we're going to look at the second part of the parable that begins in verses 25 and runs right down to verse 32. It's talking about the other guy. Okay, the other guy, not the youngest son, but the, help me, older son, the eldest son. What Jesus is trying to tell us in this part of the parable is that there's another kind of lostness that we should be concerned about. Last week we saw the youngest son, and that's that's a kind of lostness. If you actually look at chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, you're you're reminded again of the context of these stories, of these parables. It says in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. 
there's these two groups of people that are in the audience where Jesus is addressing. He's talking to tax collectors and sinners, but he's also talking to some other people. The tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to Jesus. Now, you need to understand how dramatic this is. Tax collectors were, those are the ones who sold themselves out to the Romans. They were Jews who sold themselves out to the Romans to actually collect taxes from their Jewish brothers and sisters. They would skim some of their profit off the top for themselves and give what the Romans wanted. So nobody liked the tax collectors, right? Seems like a common kind of theme, you know? Doesn't matter what generation you're in. Nobody really likes tax collectors. But they... These, these tax collectors, they were, they were hated, they were cheaters, they were outsiders. And then you have sinners. This was an official kind of title given to people that everyone knew were lost, that they knew they were sinners. All you had to do was look at their lifestyles. For, for us, we might think, well, it's a, maybe it was a drug dealer or a prostitute or something like that. It's it's people who are living an unclean life and they were doing it flagrantly. So when Jesus tells this parable about the lost son and the youngest son, he's saying the tax collectors and the sinners are like the youngest son. It was quite obvious they had this rebellious self-indulgence where they would do what they want, when they want, how they want. They wanted nothing to do with the father it led to a moral bankruptcy in their life, just like the younger son who was far away in another country, reckless living, spending all his money. He's obviously lost. Nobody reads the story about the prodigal son and thinks, well, I wonder if he was lost. Right? It's pretty obvious. He's in a pigsty. Nobody wants to feed the dude. He's lived a reckless life. His life is a mess. Even he knows he's lost. Everybody knows that he's lost. That's the tax collectors and the sinners. Some of us are prone to wander away from God into that kind of lostness. And only the grace of God can turn around somebody from that kind of lostness to being found. And you see that, are they found? Yeah, Jesus is receiving them and eating with them. Of course they're found. He's brought them around the table with him. He's accepting them for who they are. Jesus is fulfilling, Jesus is actually fulfilling his mission of Luke 19.10 when he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He's fulfilling his mission because this is what Jesus wants. He wants the lost to come home. But there's another kind of lostness. And here in our, in our section, in verses 25 through 32, we see the, eldest, the lostness of the eldest son. Let me begin reading at verse 20, and we'll kind of read through the whole section here and, and see this lostness in his life. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, this is the youngest son. While the youngest son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, came, who has devoured your property and prostitute, with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and in his life he was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Here we see in this story the other kind of lostness and just as the youngest son represents the tax collectors and the sinners, so the eldest son represents the Pharisees and the scribes. The religious leaders, they were experts who knew the laws and commands of God and they were dedicated to keeping them. I would say vigilantly dedicated to keeping them, hyper-dedicated to keeping them. They are grumbling in Luke 15, verses one and two, just like they were in Luke chapter five, verse 30, when they said, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? The eldest son is, is the Pharisee and the scribe, perhaps, it's not as obvious, but he is also lost as well. In fact, John Piper says when he's thinking about this passage, he says, you know, what the Pharisees and scribes were doing is they were accusing Jesus of compromise. He's compromising. You're treating sin lightly. You're not rigorous and holiness. I mean, just stop. You guys stop and think about this for a minute. You know, I, I'll give them a little bit of grace, but when I'm reading this passage, I'm going, really? You're accusing the Son of God as being a compromiser, treating sin lightly and not rigorous in holiness? I mean, Jesus is that rigorous in holiness? Jesus treats sin lightly? I, I, I don't see that. I don't see that. He's not a compromiser, but that's exactly what they're saying to him. They're accusing him of, of compromise. You see, the youngest son and the eldest son are both lost. They're, they've turned their back on their father. But this parable isn't here. It's not here for us to recognize what's wrong with the tax collectors and sinners and what's wrong with the Pharisees and the scribes. Okay, it's here for us. We have to identify ourselves in this parable. Jesus said that when he began to speak parables. In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then later on in the same chapter, in verse 18, he says, take care then how you hear. When you're reading these parables, you need to take care how you hear because the parables are here for us. We have to recognize our lostness, what we are prone to wander towards, perhaps even where your heart is right now. 
And the eldest son, the eldest son in this story shows us that we could be lost in our own self-righteousness. The youngest son teaches us that we could be lost in our self-indulgence. The eldest son represents for us the idea that we could be lost in our self-righteousness. Here's the definition for self-righteousness. What does that fancy word mean? This is what it means. It means having or characterized by a certainty, especially an unfounded one, that one is totally correct or morally superior. And so you read that and you go, wow, I'm really glad that's not me. Eldest son, Pharisees, scribes. I just, I, I just want to be uh, fully transparent to you. It's like, uh, you know, when you spend a week, I don't, I've read, obviously read this parable many, many, many times, as many of you have read this parable before too, but as I'm reading through Luke 15 again and I'm reading about the eldest son, it was like, it's like looking in a mirror for me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a church kid, man. Like, I, was, I grew up in the church. I'm sure there were weekends that we missed church. I mean, I can't remember very many. I remember even when we traveled, there were times we would go. My dad would, mom would haul us out to some little church. I remember going to other countries. We'd do the exact same thing. We'd, you know, we'd just do all these things. I mean, I grew up in church. I went to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. I went Wednesday night. I went Friday for youth. You know, like... My parents were really slackers. We didn't do anything Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. <laughs> then, then, then I studied religion. My whole life has been dedicated to studying God's word. And God has allowed me to become a religious, I guess, a religious leader. What I've learned about myself is that, uh, that I am less likely to wander away from God into self-indulgence. Now, I have in my past, but I, that's really not what I usually struggle with. I don't struggle with as much wandering away from God into self-indulgence. I'm actually more likely to wander away from God into self-righteousness. You say, well, why is that important? Well, Jesus actually kind of hints at that, implies it as he's giving, giving through this parable. Why is it important? Let me give you two reasons why self-righteousness is a problem. And um, the first one is this, that the self-righteous heart actually keeps you from sitting at the table with Jesus and accepting tax collectors and sinners. That's the context of this parable. Jesus is having a party with his new friends, the tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees refused to join the party. Why? Because they're self-righteous. And so self-righteous heart keeps you from sitting at that table. You're, I really believe this to be true of my own life. Maybe you think about this as well, that, that, that many times my relationship with the loss is either strained or doesn't happen because of my self-righteousness. Our actual participation in the mission of Jesus is at stake when we are self-righteous, right? He came to what? Seek and save the lost. And he has 
chosen us as disciples to be his vehicle, his means to present the gospel and to interact with other people. When we are self-righteous, that whole mission is at stake in my life. So I asked myself this question this week, and I'm posing the same question to you this morning. Is your self-righteousness keeping you from interacting with those who don't know Jesus? The second reason why this is a problem is we see this in the relationship between the father and the eldest son. Our our relationship with God is actually negatively impacted when we're self-righteous. Self-righteousness keeps you from drawing close to the father who has a totally different heart than you do. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know that I might struggle with self-righteousness? Well, here in the story, we see it in verses 25 through 32, there are these characteristics that come out for us, okay? So let's kind of work our way through the text and see the characteristics of the eldest son. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. I want you to notice this. You have a self-righteous heart that when it comes to the lost, you're actually more angry than you are compassionate. Verse 28, right? He says in verse 28, After he gets all the news from the servant, it says, but he was angry and he refused to go in. He was angry and he refused to go in. He hears the report from the servant and he is ticked. He is so, so upset. He has the exact opposite reaction to the youngest son than his father had. You see in verse 20, go back to verse 20 and see the kind of reaction that his father had. Right when his father is is coming, uh, when his son is coming home, it says he arose. That is, the youngest son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father is is only full of compassion. The eldest son is angry. The Pharisees in chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, they're grumbling. They're concerned about their own purity and protection. They're convinced that what Jesus is doing is not right, that it is very wrong. That somehow Jesus is condoning their lifestyle by having them around the table. And they say, I... I'd rather stand out here than be around the table, just like the eldest son said, I'm not going into that house. I refuse to take a step into that house. I will not go into that house. So the Pharisees and the scribes who have hearts that are full of self-righteousness, they say, I prefer to stand out here. What should be happening, Jesus? You shouldn't be accepting them. You should be judging them. You should be condemning them because what they have done is so, so Wrong. So when I see someone commit a terrible sin, the question I ask myself from this story is, what do I feel towards the sinner? Do I feel anger or do I feel compassion? When you think of of even your own youngest son, maybe some of you have like youngest sons who are, you know, off kilter. Maybe it's a father, maybe it's a mother, maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's one of your lifelong friends, maybe even one of your children. As you see them making reckless choices, are you moved more to anger or are you moved to compassion? As they're 
embracing self-indulgence and they're on a path towards what you think might be even moral bankruptcy, what is the feeling in your heart? Are you angry or you're compassionate? When you think of the youngest son in this story, right? When you think of the youngest son in this story who was living a reckless life and he ends up with the pigs, like, he's like, wow, man, that dude had it coming. Is that your response? He so had that coming. That's what happens, you know. If you live like that, there are consequences. If you make the decisions to take all that money and you're gonna blow all that money in reckless living, go off to a far country, you're gonna end up in a pigsty. What else? What, of course that's gonna happen. You, that's exactly what should happen. And as true as that may be, I certainly believe that there are consequences to our decisions. As true as that may be, it's still not the heart of the Father. His heart is what? Compassion. And if you and I can't wrap our heads around that, we are self-righteous. We're lost in our self-righteousness. Number two, we're self-righteous when we don't serve God out of love for God. Verse 29, you see verse 29? He answers, his father comes out, pleads with him, and he answers his father. Look, these many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed your command, right? These many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed one of your commands. I mean, how many times have I said stuff like that to God? God, I've served you, I've never disobeyed one of your, I'm trying not to disobey your command. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, giving it my best. Every single day, I'm getting out. I'm serving you. I'm, I'm not disobeying your commands. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. You notice how he, how he describes his relationship with his father? He describes it as a slave to master, not as a son to a father. He emphasizes his duty, how dutiful he's been. I've, I've slaved every day for you for years. Never once does he talk about, never once in this story is there an expression of love for the Father. He says, I've been obedient, I've kept your commands. Even that, he's saying, he's, t- he's describing his Father as someone who's just a command giver that he's supposed to respond to his commands. I've done everything you said. I've, I've been everything you want me to be. He's living in his Father's house without a meaningful relationship with his Father. So, so dangerous. to serve in the name of God for years, but not out of love for God, just out of a sense of duty. And that leads to, leads to the next thing. It leads to entitlement, man. Look at it in verse 29. Verse 29. He says, I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What's up with that, God? What's up with that, Father? He believes he's entitled. I, I deserve better. This is not fair. Right? Here's this guy who's wasted everything, and you're, you're like kill a fattened calf. You haven't even given me a goat. Like, a goat. Seriously? Like, couldn't you just grabbed a goat for me and could have had a little party with my friends? You know, but here you guys. Here's the dude who's wasted everything, I wasted everything of yours and you give him a fattened calf and like, what is up with that? 
self-righteousness. He's quick to compare. You see that in verse 30? Right, verse 30. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Yeah, look at, look at him. Yeah, I just want you to know, Father, like I'm a lot better than he is. He devoured your property with, with, with prostitutes. He, was, he won't even recognize him as his brother. This son of yours. Right? This son of yours, he says. He just goes on. He refuses to recognize his brother. He expresses his moral superior to, superiority to that of his brother. He's just like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, verse 11, who is praying alongside the tax collector, and he says this. This is what the Pharisee says. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Hey, Dad, he's saying in the story, I just want you to know, I'm not like that guy. I won't even mention his name. He's not my brother. I disavow myself from any relationship with him at all. He's your problem, not my problem, but I'm much better than that. And then he's just flat out judgmental. Verse 30 again. This son of yours came who has devoured your property of the prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. You know, just go back to verse 29. Just notice the contrast. He says, I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Okay, I've done this. You never gave me a young goat. You killed the fattened calf for him. He's, he's judgmental. It's interesting. He's not, even that, he's not even as judgmental against his brother. He's judgmental against his father. He's explicitly telling his father that his compassion and restoration of his brother is just flat out foolishness. I mean, you're gonna let him back into this house just like that? No punishment? Seriously? Not even a timeout? Can we not like, ground him for a month? Right? Can we take the cars away from him or something? Like, can, like there's gotta be something that you can do to make this right, to make this fair. Like, what's the problem? with you, Father. How could you do that? This is ridiculous. Makes absolutely no sense to him. God, why do the wicked prosper? Why isn't it the people who are faithful to you? Why don't they get more in return, right? God, you've got this all wrong. Like, why is it like that? Self-righteous. All of that going on in our hearts, the self-righteousness keeps us from sitting at the table with Jesus along with the lost, and it keeps us from drawing close to our Heavenly Father and His compassion. But there's hope. And you know, like I go through that list, those list of things, and I see, my, I see too much of myself at times in these descriptions. Too much of myself. But there's hope. God's grace can rescue us from our self-righteousness. Love this. Look at verses 31 and 32. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
I, I want you to notice again, just like what happened with the younger son, the father initiates, he initiates grace in his life. You see that, go back to verse 28 again. It says, he was angry and he refused to go in, but his father came out and entreated him or pleaded with him. The father initiates. He, he initiates with the elder son because he wants the elder son to come back home. He's saying, well, he's already back home. No, he's not. He's refusing to go into the house. Right? He's standing there observing. He's seeing everything is going on, but he refuses. He refuses to go back in the house. And so what does the father do? Does he just leave him there? Leave him there to stew? Leave him there to kind of work it out himself? No, 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 no. No, he initiates. God initiates, the father initiates because he wants the eldest son to come home. He doesn't wait. He comes out and he pleads. He wants the family to be together. He reminds him of his love for him in verse 31 when he says, son, you are always with me. I, I, don't you understand? I love you. you, you you're always with me. You've, you haven't, you're always with me. And the, the tragedy in this story is that the eldest son lives with his father, but he doesn't love his father. But even when he doesn't love his father, his father still loves him. Just like the youngest son the youngest son who goes down the path of self-indulgence, there's no doubt for the whole time that he's away from his father, the only thing that his father, feeling that his father has for him is love. He longs for them to be back together, just like he does here with the eldest son. And so if you and I are struggling with self-righteousness, we know this to be true. Even when we are practicing in our self-righteousness, even when we are lost in our self-righteousness, our Heavenly Father loves us. The Father promises them an inheritance in verse 31. He says, son, all that is mine is yours. He reminds him of his inheritance. And you say, oh, well, wait a minute. Yeah, but you know, it was a lot less. It could have been a lot more before. Listen, you're missing the point. The point is not that. The point is that the father is saying, listen, son, look around. Look around at everything. The house, the cattle, the whole thing, everything. Look at everything. All, all that I have is yours. It's what I have is yours. So how does God heal the self-righteous heart? He does it by his grace. He does it by his grace. He initiates he comes to us, he invites us, he pleads with us. Even as you're listening to this message, as you've read, read through the story again, it may be that you're saying, yeah, you know, I am, I, I am a self-righteous kind of mess right now. I'm lost in my self-righteousness. Well, I have good news for you. God is initiating with you right now. He's coming to you, he's inviting you, he's pleading you to come back into the house. You know, all of us were lost in our sin. We all deserve nothing but death. We deserve nothing but separation from God. We deserve nothing but hell itself. But God, God initiated. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to take our place, to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. He initiates his grace. He always has, he always will. In Christ, God loves us. 
I, I can't, I honestly, I don't know if I'll ever get over the words. I'm always with you. I'm always with you. And in Christ, God gives us the richest of inheritances. New life, new creation, new family, new hope, new destiny. Wow. That's worth celebrating. And in verse 32, it says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, right? Jesus changes lives. He changes lives. That's what he does. And it's like Jesus is looking up from this table where the tax collectors, his new friends, okay? I know none of us in this room would probably select the same kind of people that Jesus selected, but this is awesome. That's what's amazing about Jesus. He, his new friends, tax collectors and sinners, the people who are obviously lost, he, they're drawing near to him and he's having dinner with them and he's accepting them. And then he looks up from the table and he looks outside, at maybe outside the gate where those Pharisees are looking in on the party that's going on. And he's saying to the Pharisees and scribes, the people who have the self-righteous heart, do you want to join the party? See, only God's grace can save us from our self-righteousness. Romans 2.4 tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And there's this question that hangs in the air over the ending of this parable. And, and that's this question. Like, will the people, the Pharisees and scribes, those of us who have self-righteous hearts, will we actually repent? Will we actually return home? Will we actually step back into the house? Is that what's going to happen? Now, we know how it worked out for the younger son, but will it work out that way for the elder son? Don Carson, when he was interviewing two famous theologians, he asked them this question. How do you stay humble despite all of your accomplishments? And one of them turned to him and said, how on earth can anyone be arrogant when standing by the cross? When you stand by the cross, it destroys your self-righteous heart. There's no, there's no way you can be self-righteous to stand by the cross. If you are self-righteous, you're not standing by the cross. When we don't actively remember or we don't engage in our thankfulness for God's grace, we're not praising him for his grace, what Jesus has done for us, we have this tendency to wander away from him in one of two directions. Some of us, some of us, like the younger son, may wander towards a rebellion that leads to self-indulgence, doing our own thing, might, uh, might lead to a morally bankrupt life and a lostness that is oh so painful. There are people in this room that know exactly what it's like to be that lost and how painful it is, how painful it is. You see, when we don't 
reflect on God's grace, when we don't embrace God's grace, when we don't remember God's grace, it can pull us in that direction. But for some of us, it pulls us in a different direction. Like the eldest son, it may, may teach us, it may pull us to wander towards a rebellion that leads to self-righteousness, to dutiful obedience without a love for our father and others. And the invitation for us today is that Jesus gives to us is to receive his grace, to repent and come to the table with Jesus where all who are lost are found, to actually be welcomed home, to be welcomed home. So we have this amazing opportunity this morning. I just love the fact that we're able to do this this morning. Today we have the opportunity to remember God's grace, the death of Jesus Christ by participating in the Lord's Supper together. Sure, it, this, the Lord's Supper, it reminds us of, the, of this, that God initiates, right? He initiates, he loves us, and he promises us, he promises us an amazing inheritance all in and through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sins. As we participate in the Lord's Supper in just a, a few minutes, I just want us to, to understand and realize that, that it's for believers. For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, what he has done for us on the cross, you're gonna receive two elements, okay? Two elements. The bread represents the body of Jesus that hung on the cross for us, and the cup or the juice represents Jesus Christ's shed blood for us because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we want to prepare ourselves for this. I, I, I have no idea. I, I, I just, all I know is where my heart is. I don't know where yours is. And we need to prepare ourselves before we take the bread and we take the cup. So we, we want to do that. And the screens in just a moment, there's going to be some verses there. We want you to take some time to remember and express your thanksgiving to the Lord for his grace. All right, what we want you to do is I, I want you to visualize this. You're standing by the cross by his grace. Let that pour over you and challenge you in your self-righteousness. I want you to take some time to repent if you need to from your self-righteous heart. Then the worship team is going to lead us in singing together. I want to invite the servers to come forward now, and I want to pray for us before we begin this important time. Father, I, um, I want to pray on behalf of all of us. Father, I, I, I pray that you would take our self-righteous hearts and dump them in the garbage as far away as possible. I pray that as we stand before the cross right now, as we sit at the feet, at the foot of the cross, and we think about your grace, your initiation of grace, your love for us, the inheritance that we have in Christ, God, that it would just tear down again, tear down again our self-righteousness. Help us to remember, help us to be full of thanksgiving, help us to be full of praise, God, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.